When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. I'm reminded today of a, a Dr. Seuss uh, nursery rhyme that I remember reading to my niece years ago. She used to love it. It was, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can stare yourself wherever you choose. I thought that was kind of funny. It, it kind of inspired me to do a lot of things. You're kind of in control of stuff. As I remember decades ago when I start, first started playing with botanic, what now is known as a botanical method aquarium, or in those days, more of like black water aquariums, I was keenly aware of what I was getting into. I was aware of the importance of monitoring water parameters from the decades I'd spent in the reef world and my, later on in my involvement in the large scale propagation of corals at a commercial level. I knew that a certain degree of anal retentive vigilance can only benefit my Blackwater or botanical method aquarium work, so I employed what I knew, regular water testing, as part of my husbandry routine. Now, I admit that my knowledge of chemistry kind of, well, sucks. <laughs> I have a healthy respect, okay, actually a little bit of fear of chemistry. I mean, I sort of understand what I need to know to run an aquarium, but I, like many of us, I need to do better. In fact, as adventurers into the blackwater environments, which so many people seem to be obsessed with, we all need to do a bit more research on some of this stuff so that we can provide optimum environmental conditions for our fishes, make meaningful observations, and develop replicable, useful techniques and be able to share our findings with others. Now, during my lifetime aquatic journey, I did a few, you know, did learn a few things about water chemistry and was in my own crude way able to apply some of the stuff I learned from both school and hobby endeavors to the work that I do here. Along the way, I noticed some stuff about, in particular, low pH aquariums that was sort of unique. In particular, pH and TDS, two measures familiar to me as a reef keeper, are really important yet applied in a different manner in the murky world of blackwater aquariums. A lot of pent-up fear and vague yet urgent warnings about the dangers of flirting with lower pH and low carbonate hardness in aquariums seemed to await me at every turn when I told you know, my fellow hobbyists at that point what I was up to. And, you know, people were freaked. And of course, I was hooked immediately. Look, I'm no chemist, but I do have a very, very, very rudimentary, perhaps even dangerously ignorant understanding of pH. I remember from chemistry that pH is the measure for the concentration of the hydrogen ions. And that in neutral water, the pH is seven. When you increase the concentration of hydrogen ions, the pH will go down because pH is the negative log of the hydrogen concentration. That was enough to get me a solid C plus in Chem 101. So, you know, it's worked for me. Where things get interesting for us is when you look at pH and its relationship to stuff that scares aquarists, like phosphate, stuff that affects water quality. Ah, some of the stuff that vague warnings were all about. I remember reading somewhere that in neutral water, both pH and um, uh, and uh, hardness, were, uh, or pH and pOH, excuse me, uh, equal a total of 14. You can't have more than that. Thusly, 
when you increase the concentration of the hydrogen ions, the pH goes down and the, and the pOH goes up. And I think that's at least one reason for the freak out we sometimes encounter when we tell other hobbyists we're about to run our Altum Angel tank at pH of 4.9 or whatever. Of course, there's the whole thing about TDS, total dissolved solids. Shrimp keepers in particular seem to love this measurement. And I guess reefers do too, because it tells us if it's time to change our RODI membranes on our filters. I think TDS meters are useful for a lot of purposes. And interchangeably, you could probably get away with referring to them as a conductivity meter because they actually measure how easily a current will run through your water. The easier a current can run through the water, the higher the concentration of TDS present in the water. So a TDS meter works by converting the conductivity measure to a total dissolved solids measure. It's not super precision in lab terms, but in terms of what we use it for, it's, you know, fit for purpose, as they say. From a water quality management standpoint, hobbyists tend to use TDS as an indicator of how much stuff is dissolved into the water. Oh my God, I'm so showing my simplicity and ignorance here. I know, so chemistry guys, spank me as needed, I get it. But really, the, the problem with measuring TDS in, is, in my humble opinion, is that it's kind of vague and that it doesn't tell you what the stuff that's dissolved in the water is. I mean, it could be anything from organic compounds to mineral salts or freaking hot cocoa mix for that matter. Yet we all agree that we want as low a reading on TDS as possible in most, you know, black water aquariums. And that's why reverse osmosis deionized water with all of its mysteries correlates well with our goals of low pH. It's more malleable. And of course, since some municipal tap water can have TDS as high as 500 or more out of the faucet, it's not a bad thing to measure, despite its vagueness. In addition to your other parameters, as an overall indicator of water quality, or at least of what kind of water you're working with. I think that a TDS meter is a nice tool to have in our arsenal of stuff to help maintain our aquariums. Now, one weird thing that you can have is a fairly high TDS reading, even if your general hardness and carbonate hardness are low because various ions dissolved into the water. It's logical, but it's annoying. Okay, so chemistry is kind of interesting, even though most of it escapes me. And another thing too, I'm not advocating an obsession over every single water parameter, you know, pH included. You'll go absolutely crazy chasing numbers. I've seen dozens of reef keepers proudly obsessed with chasing every number for every parameter who have some of the shittiest tanks I've ever seen. Seriously, just having information without the understanding about what it means and how to apply it to your situation is really pretty useless. So say if the fish guy who has a very shaky chemistry background and as he pontificates on the subject, yeah, but seriously. Now, one thing that is interesting and important to grasp, in my humble opinion, is the relationship between lower pH water and ammonia. This, I feel, is where the bulk of the mainstream hobby freak out against our, our love of lower pH or black water tanks stems from. As hobbyists, we should understand that what we call TAN, or total ammonia nitrogen, it's a concept. Our you know, aquarium-based hobby kits measure both ammonia, NH3, and ammonium, NH4+, also called ionized ammonia, which comprise TAN, total ammonia nitrogen. This has important implications for those of us who maintain a low pH system, like, you know, below 6.0. We need to be careful in managing our low pH black water aquariums, if that's our goal, particularly when performing water changes. Here's why. Low pH can have a detrimental effect on the population of nitrifying bacteria that converts ammonia to nitrate, or to nitrite, excuse me. Because of the acidity of the water, these bacteria populations can drop so low that the total ammonia nitrogen level can rise very quickly. No cause to freak out because if the pH stays low, the tan level is pretty much all ammonium in H4+, which is essentially non-toxic. <laughs> you gulp when I say that. 
It's the non-toxic component of total ammonia nitrogen. So to make you feel better, ammonium, even at higher concentration, doesn't kill fishes. If you do water exchanges with lots of alkalinity buffer added to the makeup water, the pH goes up, right? And what happens at a higher pH level? Well, you guessed it. The non-toxic ammonium can quickly be converted to very toxic ammonia, potentially causing ammonia poisoning to your fishes. I'll hazard a guess that this is where many hobbies have screwed up and many of the anomalous deaths in otherwise well-maintained low pH tanks were caused by this situation. And that, you know, further added to the lore that suggests that low pH blackwater type aquariums are, you know, bad news. So the key takeaway here, keep things stable. If you're going to keep a low pH, keep it that way. Use water for water exchanges that has pH values consistent with the water in your aquarium. So it's really not that scary if you understand this concept. Just be consistent, test your aquarium regularly, and your makeup water and stay cool and calm. This is common sense aquarium management, stability. Blackwater aquariums in the, in the traditional sense are really no more difficult to keep than say a reef aquarium, an African Rift Lake cichlid tank, or one of those high-tech planted you know, tanks in my opinion. It's mainly the fact that not everybody gets or appreciates the unusual aesthetic coupled with the misunderstanding or lack of understanding of this environment, which has helped perpetuate the myth that blackwater aquariums are highly unstable, difficult to maintain, and downright dangerous aquariums. Honestly, I'll tell it like it is. I think that hobbyists who don't make the effort to understand the dynamic of these types of aquariums and maybe had a bad experience or two in their attempts to keep one just sort of piled it on. I think that's where all this negativity came from about this, you know, trying to proceed in that area. And look, if you're going to try a specialized aquatic system, any type, you need to learn about the dynamics of the environment you're attempting to maintain. This is not rocket science or some unique problem related to botanical method or blackwater systems. It's just how everything is in the aquarium world. We've Instagrammed the shit out of this hobby to the point where it, we, we see things that everything is a superficial style. We have cutesy videos, fun hashtags and stuff, which are great if they help put some things in your head, but they sadly overlook the educational component the, the operating system that's at the heart of all this that we all need to make the effort to learn. So please, let's go deeper. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now and back to my overly simplistic quasi-ignorant attempts to give you a little bit more information on the realities of these systems. Here's some interesting things about blackwater habitats. The concentrations of magnesium, potassium, and calcium and sodium are very low in blackwaters. And of course, they categorically have lower pH and lower conductivity. Okay, let's just say TDS for now. Um, than, you know, so-called whitewater habitats. And as we've discussed before, this has some interesting implications for the animal populations within them. Some animals, like snails, need more calcium than is available in blackwater to build their shells. So you won't see a whole lot of snails in blackwater habitats. Blackwater habitats being lower in nutrients than whitewater habitats are typically less productive, as they say, yet still host an enormous variety of life forms. Okay, I think my head's spinning right now. I probably hit my limit of discussing chemistry for the next month. However, it's all kind of important. I mean, this stuff can make the difference between a wildly successful blackwater aquarium and an average one. So as they say, don't believe the hype. Don't be afraid. Make the effort to learn about this stuff for yourself. Way more than what I can discuss here or I'm even comfortable discussing. But if you're going to play the game, learn the rules. I don't probably didn't do an exceptionally great job of explaining this stuff because that's not my strong suit, this real high technical stuff. But I hope I at least left you with the impression that it's not that complicated to at least find out about and grasp these concepts as they apply to our hobby. 
some quality time on the iPad with a Thai iced tea and some, you know, salt and vinegar potato chips is really all that stands between the nasty influence of the ignorant, misinformed hobby regurgitators of negativity and you becoming a well-informed, practicing blackwater aquarium keeper. Don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and go to work and go to work with this stuff. There's a lot to learn. Sometimes you have to jump outside of aquarium hobby stuff to, to learn it. There's so much to learn, it's not even funny. We're really at the ground floor of our understanding of how to manage these unique aquariums. And every one of us has an important role to play, helping to dispel myths, develop and perfect techniques, and to add to the body of knowledge of black water and botanical-influenced or botanical-method aquariums. I talk about them separately because, as I've said many, many times over the years, just because our water has that tinted color that we love so much, it's by definition not technically a black water as, an, uh, ecolo- as a, the definition an ecologist would use. Boy, did I trip over myself there. So it's important to know that. So know what you're getting into, study it, and then proceed carefully and share what you learn. Stay bold, stay focused, stay fearless, stay awake, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.